Welcome to The Mentor Files. I'm your host, Monica Royer, founder of Monica and Andy. If I've learned anything about running a business, it's that I've got so much left to learn. Join me as I chat with some of the world's most inspiring CEOs, passionate entrepreneurs, and experts at the top of their field to bring you invaluable insider advice and candid conversation about their journey to success. Here we go. where to begin with our next guest. In 2008, Jessica Rolfe and her partner launched Happy Family Brands, the leading organic baby, toddler, and kids' food in the U.S., with more than 200 SKUs sold in 20,000 stores across 30 countries worldwide. As the founding partner and COO, she took the startup and skyrocketed it to a mega brand in just a few short years. In 2013, Happy Family was named by Forbes as one of the fastest-growing women-led companies before it was acquired by Dannon in 2013 for hundreds of millions of dollars. Today, Jessica is on her very next entrepreneurial chapter as co-founder and CEO of Love Every, a company that offers parents and their little ones playtime with a purpose through educational play products and baby toys. They just released their latest product, Play Kit Subscriptions, which deliver custom packages direct to parents every two months for one year. Each box is tailored to the exact stage of baby with non-toxic products meant to provide tailored experiences. And don't worry, there's a guy that comes along with it to tell you just exactly how to use the toys and engage with your baby. Today, I chat with Jessica about so many things from motherhood, venture capital, fundraising, and love of product. I can't wait for you all to hear Jessica's story and her invaluable advice. Welcome. I'm so excited today to speak with Jessica Rolf, founding partner and COO of Happy Family and CEO and co-founder of Lovery. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We're so excited to have you today. So tell, so first of all, I am sitting in front of one of your boxes. I'm looking at the sensor box right oh. now, the five to six month box, and I am blown away by the experience. Like, So for people that haven't seen your product before, I feel like just testing it out and seeing it, it's such a well-thought-out box. So tell me a little bit about how you and your team came up with the idea for the brand. Yeah, so I had gone so deep into nutrition at Happy Family. You know, was so focused on optimal nutrition at every stage, giving my babies and my family the very best, and obviously translating that to to our company, that I found that... um, I, I found myself wondering, what are we doing with a developing brain? And so for the first three years of life, a person's brain is developed 80% by age three. And as adults, our brains are always reshaping themselves based on, you know, like our environment, but so much happens in those early years. And so, you know, I really found myself pivoting from infant nutrition to really infant brain development and wondering what was happening. I had this sounds crazy, especially, you know, from, from a mom to mom conversation, but I actually had discovered a doctoral thesis written on infant brain development when I had my first uh, eight years ago. And it sounds wild, but it wasn't one of those really super nerdy documents that had all of, you know, this is like, these are the billions of brain cells this is exactly how the neurons fire. And this is how the brain is structured. It was actually like a a guide for from a, written for parents about how you can help your child at every stage of their development and what you can do from a neuroscience perspective. It was so fascinating. And so I ended up reading this and discovering, you know, all this like kind of what felt to me like secret information that then became Love Every because we wanted to translate, you know, that whole experience into something that was meaningful for parents. 
Amazing. And tell me, so you launched Happy Family or you were you were at Happy Family started in 2009. Tell me a little bit about how your experience there has really shaped what you, you know, what you've done with with this brand. So I partnered with my partner in 2006 actually to start Happy Baby and so it was like a over a decade long journey building that company and we worked so hard to try and bring meaningful kind of like nutrition to families. And I think one of the hardest things is you have these aspirations as a, as, as a person to, you know, to try and really in our ways, like we wanted to change behavior. We wanted to give parents like the most perfect frozen food. And so we made this beautiful line of frozen cubes and it was in the freezer and nobody bought it. Nobody knew where it was. It was like a total failure. And, but we had poured our heart into this. I mean, the peas were so beautiful and the, we mixed mint in with the peas. We made these really cool mixes with like quinoa and black beans and bananas. And I'm excited to, to talk to you about the baby space and how important these early years and months are. But for Love Every, so much of what we did and, and do is to try and translate the kind of like body of science and research and the complexities that, you know, are all coming in the door for parents and distill it down to what's essential and feels meaningful and purposeful and just at the right time. And tell me about a little bit about customer acquisition for Love Every. Do you, are you targeting like pregnant moms? Do you, do people generally find you like right after you have the baby? Cause I feel like this, all this idea of like this neurosensory development, certainly something pregnant moms are considering, but from a customer acquisition standpoint, where do you feel like your customers really start to discover you? Yeah, you know, I think that we're all kind of a just-in-time sort of, it's like the whole pregnancy and parenting journey is a very kind of just-in-time experience. I think (laughs) um, we like to think that we plan, we like to think we plan, but it's also like really wanting to be present with the stage that you're at. And so a lot of people discover us when they're thinking about their baby registries. So we have a play gym that um, has really kind of deconstructed what was formerly known as like the the ugly mat with like the stuff hanging over it and like the too many flashing lights and too much stuff happening. We've we've sort of simplified and made a play mat that's really about early learning that grows with the baby. So that's a lot of you know parents discover us there. And then we just six weeks ago launched the play kits. So we're just learning how people are finding out about us, but it's a lot through word of mouth and a lot through um, kind of knowing about our play gym and thinking about what's next. So it's been really fun. I love that. And tell us, so you you initially were selling like individual products and then only recently you've launched like the type of kit that I have in front of me now, like that sensor kit. So is that... Okay. Well, so our strategy was um, when we were thinking about how we were going to get the word out, because, you know, we, we wanted to, with my first company, Happy Baby, we went mass retail. So, you know, it's like how people are buying baby food. They're going into store shelves like Target and, you know, many other kind of brick and mortar channels. And and Amazon is becoming big too, but there isn't quite as much of a behavior around subscription around feeding yet. I think it's growing. For what we wanted to do, we felt like if we just launched the play kits, which is what you're looking at now, so we have the six boxes for the first year, and they're all based on the baby stage and they're products that we've created and paired with information that's essential for, for that stage of development. And what we found is that it would be really hard to get the word out just as a company. You know, it's, it's so hard. You're doing it every day, right? We're like trying to communicate what we're doing. And so using the Amazon platform, honestly, for our play gym and launching in a category that already exists where people are registering for this item, they're already buying, you know, play gyms was, was to us felt like a smart strategy to build the brand awareness because over 50% of search is happening on Amazon. It's, a, it's like 
we're, we're not trying to, we're reinventing something that is a product that people are already buying as opposed to the stage-based learning is really a different way of thinking about toys and what you, the stuff that you have for your baby. So we wanted to kind of build the brand with this one product first. And then we launched that last November. And then we launched, six weeks ago, we launched the stage-based boxes. I like that for, you know, for people that are listening, we kind of, you know, we launched a few years ago as well. And, you know, for us, like we started with blankets and then I think, it, you know, it's kind of nice to launch. It doesn't have to be one skew. I mean, we, we were more than one skew, but with like such a primary focus on blankets, I think for people that are thinking about starting their own companies that might be listening to this, I think one takeaway is that, you know, you don't need to launch with everything. You kind of bring a few things to the market and test them out because, you know, what you've now brought to market, which are these really cool boxes, might not have been exactly what your thought process was to begin with, but it sounds like, and hopefully I'm not extrapolating too much, like you tested out some things, you figured out where you had traction, and then it sort of led you to this idea of this discovery box. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that I, so because I did this, I had experienced this this doctoral thesis and had this kind of like stage-based approach. And I felt like all the toys that we have with like the bells and whistles, I remember being with my son on the floor and I watched him push one button and like a purple cow pops out and music starts playing and the lights are flashing. And I just started feeling <laughs> like, is, what is this actually doing for his brain and for his for his neural development? And so I started realizing through that that really this stage-based approach is so important. Like we, babies actually have these, you know, windows that are opening and closing. We all do in our um, neural, you know, our openness and sensitive periods for, for different kinds of learning. And so if you can kind of take the guesswork from a parent perspective out of trying to figure out, okay, what toy's next? What should I have? Um, what is my child trying to learn? How do I think about, you know, fine motor skills and gross motor skills and all this kind of different aspects of development? If we take the guesswork out of that and just kind of create this this learning program that people can trust with information relevant to that stage, that was the sort of big dream that I had had for many years. And because I was thinking, how can I translate this science into something that's like going to be really re- relevant to people's lives? Where we started is, you know, you know, the complexity of launching these businesses. And I'd love to talk about like, how you maintain quality and like think about how you're going to scale into different categories. But for us, you know, launching 70 plus or 80 items all packaged in these sort of like kits seems super complex from an operational perspective. And so we decided let's just start with one product. We'll get our name out there. It'll be like a great product that we'll feel so good about display gym. And then we'll also be able to kind of be in retail channels with this sort of traditional item that people are already buying, but we've totally reinvented. And then we'll do this kind of relationship-based, stage-based learning program once we get our feet, you know, feet on the ground with the first product. Uh, which, does that which make sense? Is, it makes complete sense. And I feel like it's it's a great way to do it. And it does, you know, it is nice to know other people come out there, you know, they test things as they get ready to sort of build these larger, larger continuums. Now, tell me a little bit about the production process. Like even looking at this box, I feel like, you know, for people that can't see it, kind of giving them a window into it, it's like so beautifully done. There's such nice separation between the products and the quality of the product is obviously like it is exceptional looking at the one that I have here. How long does it take to develop? Because it's all your brand, correct? It's all Love Every. Yes, for- it's all... Yes, it's all love every item. So we use the the Stanford D School model of of innovation the, in thinking about how we wanted to approach the stage based learning. So we first had to test. I honestly was wondering, are parents just so overwhelmed? We have so much happening right now that we really do want to kind of plug our kids in sometimes 
to these distraction toys and just feel a little bit of relief, like be able to get something done. So much of our society is about, about being productive. But children are about being. They want you to just kind of be with, with you there. And so we had this big question. Are parents going to really value the information that we're providing? Read it. You know, think about it related to their child's play. The, the products that we're putting in, are they going to be meaningful? Are the babies going to love them, go crazy for them? And then, of course, it's all this kind of like all-natural organic fabric and sustainable wood and just this sort of analog approach. There's nothing digital about what we're doing. So it's really, we needed to test this different model and the stage-based learning model and see if people were willing to spend the money. And so we followed 25 families that we went across the country. We visited families everywhere from a family in the Colorado area that was their fifth child. They were on public assistance to another family lived in the Oakland Hills and were making like a million or more a year. And so we really, you know, kind of followed these families. We go visit them. We give them this prototype of this experience and it was rough. It was embarrassing. <laughs> and, I, and I think that part of the, part of the D school model is like, you just like, you've got to give it, you know, just, it's like, it's going to be rough. It's not going to be, it's not going to be a, a pretty experience because that at that point your your prototype is too refined, and so we followed these families. We flew around the country and we would visit them, kind of like every other box. So we would they would and then we would have a phone call with them on the times that we didn't meet, and we just tweaked and refined the products that were in it. And in the beginning we gave them like too much, and then we didn't give them enough, and then but what we found is that. Um, that the information that we were giving, there was something magical happening with the information and just and having this, if you know, toy. And there was it was almost like parents felt empowered and had like a purpose to their times and their babies were fed and slept and were ready to play. They felt like they could really engage on their level and really knew what was going on with their child's development. And so ultimately, the big finding is that parents want the best for their baby, which you know, and um, with Monica and Andy, and, and we know intuitively, but it was really encouraging to kind of feel that parents really do want to lean in. They do want to learn about their baby's development. They do want to do the best. They, they're, you know, excited. We're all excited to have more meaningful moments of connection and feel like there's kind of like a purpose to our time together. And so out of that test, then we figured out our, our supply chain and started figuring out sourcing and, you know, prototyping and developing the products in a more refined way. I love that. I love always hearing about the journey. And I think one of the key takeaways there for people that are listening is that, you know, things can be messy at the start and that's okay. I feel like you learn so much from, you know, the things that not, not necessarily that you do wrong, but if you're going to test things, it's not like it's all going to turn out roses right at the beginning. So a lot of those stumbles or mistakes or, you know, things that just didn't fit are all incredible learnings for bringing a brand forward. And so people shouldn't get discouraged if they, you know, bring a few things to market or testing things and certain things don't work. And it's refreshing to hear your story and some of like what you felt were stumbling blocks along the way you know, and sitting in front of the product now, obviously it's, it always seems like everything's so seamless for the product that actually hopefully arrives to people's doorsteps, but there's always many twists and turns along the way as, as you're getting there. Yeah. And and we had, and just to be able to kind of, I think there's something just being willing to just be super embarrassed. You know, <laughs> I would go into these parents' homes with the, with the person that we were, we were doing it test together and we kind of designed everything, Sarah and our team, and we would go into um, these parents' homes and it was, um, we, we had given him one box, we given like a horn and it was just like this kind of like bike horn that we had sourced. Like we couldn't, you know, we couldn't like make everything homemade. We had to kind of like buy some things and assemble some other things. And, and people were just hated this horn. It was like, 
the most horrible noise. It was like, why did you give me this horn? It's making like, like my baby is like, loves it. It's like making this horrible horn noise. And we're just like, okay, scrap that. And we actually like pulled it from like the rest of the test boxes. We're like, we can't suffer this embarrassment anymore. But anyway, so being, being willing to just be really humble and really embarrassed is I guess just part of it, right? It's par for the course for sure. There's no question about that. You know, after the kind of thinking about your trajectory from happy family to love every, do you, what's it like to be like close, you know, at the helm, so to speak, in many ways of two startups? I mean, I feel like I've had to muster an incredible amount of energy and will for just this one, you know, and I was fortunate to closely follow my brother at Bonobos and like, you know, I felt like involved with him from an I think you kind of went through that. I think you kind of went through another one there too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Involved in an emotional level behind the scenes, but like you've really been at the forefront of two, which is impressive. Oh, thank you. I think um, this is my last. (laughs) I'll say that. Um, But, you know, I think that these companies, you know, your story, it just like comes from such a deep place. It, It comes from this like need and this feeling that you have of like you almost can't help yourself. Like your path is just unfolding in front of you. And for me, I feel so much like that with, with happy family and love every. And I felt so grateful to be, you know, have the happy family experience. It was just incredible. It was like, you know, we just, Shazi and I just like, just went through every issue imaginable and had such a deep hustle and, and had to just like really figure it out. And then this feels faster, smoother, a little bit better. Cause I feel like I really, I didn't know if, if I would, if this would feel, um, like I had like anything, what did I really learn from happy baby? And can I really apply it to this new company? But I think that I really, uh, so far it's felt, uh, like things are flowing easier the, the second time around. So. And do you feel like there's more pressure the second time around? I feel like I've only been on the first time around and, and kind of like you said, like, it's not that there isn't no second time around, but this is sort of, you know, you get to a certain place and maybe that's how you feel or a certain brand. And it, it just becomes like your life passion. Like everything about it is sort of like the pinnacle of like what you want to do. And, and so it's, it's hard to imagine a next step, you know, for me beyond Monica and Andy, and it sounds like for you beyond love every, but is, is it, yeah. harder to do the second time. Cause I feel like the one thing that would be going into this a second time for me would be, you know, you understand how hard it is. I think people just don't realize yeah. it's, it's so it's hard. It's like the tenacity so and, the, hard. and the, you know, the grit that your team has to output every single day, you know, just to make, to make things work. I think knowing what I know now, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to imagine giving pause to a second jump off a cliff like this. So, but also so, yeah. so much fun too, for people that are listening. I mean, the highs are so, so high and the lows are, are so, so low. It's just, you know, two ends of like, which make the highs even better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like there's also nothing more fun in life than doing something like this, or at least that's how I feel. But you know, the, the darker side of that is it can be really difficult. So you knew the second time when you launched Love Every, you'd been through it once. So you knew what it was like. Was it hard to do it, to do it again? You know, what was hard, which I almost feel embarrassed saying, but what was hard is, is the reputation risk. It's like, am I going to be a serial entrepreneur or am I going to be like a, like a one-time hit? And then the, oh, that's, you know, it's kind of like the end of the story is, oh, her next company, you know, she tried it and it didn't work. Because I almost feel like you get into that place where you have more to lose. There was just something, nothing to lose so early in my career. But I felt so attached to this vision for Love Every and seeing it become 
a part of the world and felt so committed, but also it's so scary when it's just an idea. And you have to spend a lot of time when it's just an idea building and trying to figure out, you know, so many pieces before you can launch. So I think for me, that was almost the hardest part was just kind of getting into, okay, I I feel vulnerable again. I've got to like, I got to like raise money. I've got to convince people that, that this is a good idea. And I could almost, you can almost like feel like doubt sometimes. Like you can feel a sense of, you know, when you're connecting with someone and you're like, you're like, oh yeah, you're not a believer. You, you know, you know what it's like, Monica, like having like the believers and the non-believers. Um, we have them still today, but you know, there are fewer non-believers, but they're still there. And it's just, as you kind of put yourself out there, it can be hard. Absolutely. And let's talk for a minute too, like about, you know, it's not only about being a a female CEO in this business and raising venture capital. And we know that there, there are so many incredible, like female venture capitalists out there. I've been fortunate to also encounter so many like incredibly feminist men that have been so supportive and, and equal on either side. But I think that you're in a similar boat to me, which is like, we're not only female CEOs and that's, that, that certainly is more difficult than being a man and raising capital, but we also have brands that cater to babies. And I think sometimes in the male venture capital world, it's really difficult for these, these guys to wrap their mind around baby brands and things that they're not at the forefront of purchasing themselves so do you feel like from a fundraising standpoint, obviously it seems like you've been incredibly successful. It sounds like you have like a lot of great investors behind you. Have you found it more difficult outside of just being a female CEO as we are and having a brand yeah. that is about baby? Do you think that that's a harder environment to raise capital in? You know what's funny? And I hope that this, I would be really curious to hear on your side what resonates. Because I think we're in both in this unique position of having these like, you know, female-led like baby brands, I find that it almost like pattern matches better for them because, you know, we're women and so we're producing products for babies. Like it almost like fits into this box. And that's not a bad thing. I'm, and I'm not like blaming anybody or making fault. I just don't know that I, it's not like I have a biotech company and I'm, and I'm trying to sell like, like, a, like a, something that is more unexpected from a female CEO perspective. I do think that when people have a chance to discover, we, we had one meeting with a VC recently and we walked into the meeting. He was like, he didn't know anything about our products. I don't think very much about it before his wife had asked him the night before she said, you know, we're having another baby and, you know, we're, we're having another, they, they were having another baby. And she was asking her husband, this, this VC, if, if it was, if, you know, what he thought about adding this to their registry, because they already had a play gym. And she's like, this is, you know, a, a, an investment piece. It's like a bigger item. And I, what do you think? And it was, it happened to be our play gym, which was so exciting that she had heard about it. She had done it, found out about the product. And so he walked into the meeting, like really feeling like he knew that there was uh, momentum behind the product. So I think, I think that there's like this kind of like pattern matching around investment, the investment community they look for a passionate entrepreneur. They look for, you know, somebody who's like really just like all in on product in our case, like we're a product company. So we're just like, and I'm like, and I'm personally like super obsessed with quality. We've got a great team. I have a really amazing co-founder. So, but I want to hear from your experience. What's it been like for you to, to, how has that, how has that been the same or different? 
I feel like we're truly like an event driven commerce brand. And that event is people having a baby, you know, obviously very similar to what you're doing. And so I think that, you know, I have, I've been fortunate to have like great mentors, a great board, great group of advisors. So I think that the right people are most definitely out there. I think as I come from a family of like serial entrepreneurs, yes. like my brother is the CEO of Bonobos. So and- cool. So <laughs> cool. I, I like someday I, I've heard you talk about um, your relationship with some of the other podcasts about how you and your husband do it, but it's just, it's so amazing and impressive. Oh, thanks. Well, it's good to hear that because I feel like there's some nights where like there's so much pressure on me and so much pressure on him that we're like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, it, it certainly can be a lot of people are like, oh, it sounds like so much fun. And, you know, sometimes Andy or Rob or I'll be like, well, it was probably the dumbest thing we've ever done to all do this, like <laughs> not quite simultaneously. But, you know, at the end of the day, everybody gets turned down. A lot of things go wrong and a lot of people say no before people say yes. And and I think that's across the board. Totally agreed. And I think it's just trying to separate, um, make it more of just like, okay, I'm plugging through the process. I find the hardest part is just getting started and like kind of like getting momentum. There's always like, there's a moment of momentum in every fundraise. And sometimes it happens at the very end. Sometimes you can kind of build it in the middle. And if you're lucky, you can get it in the beginning, but it's, it's just, you know, really pushing through and putting one foot in front of the other and doing what it takes to just get into that place where you're, you know, you, you've got, you've got flow, you've got momentum and you're, you're going to, you're going to make it. Absolutely. And I think you said something interesting too, about it being like the second time around and like, can you do it a second time? I think that there's a tipping point sometimes where at first you're like too small to succeed. Like when you start one of these companies, it's like, you're so small. It doesn't matter if you like win or lose. Cause you're just giving it a try. And then there comes a point in the life of every one of these brands where suddenly you're like too big to fail, even though you're not quite big enough. And, you know, I think that there's that scary, like, Hey, in the early days, you kind of go out and do whatever, because like, you're so small, nobody's ever heard of you. And so if you come and go, nobody's going to notice. And then I think you do reach kind of a frightening point. And I think that a lot of, you know, other like DNVB brands out there are probably sitting in the same spot where it's like, they're, they're too big to like actually not work, but you know, not big enough to have like totally done it. Um, so (laughs) there's that, I would say you're never totally done it. I mean, you worry about these babies. Like we, you know, we sold happy family to to group Danone, which is uh, known as Danon in the U S and they're just like an incredibly social responsible, thoughtful partner for us. But you know, you're just, your worry never ends for, for what you've created. And I think that is so much the case. It, It feels like you just never, I thought that maybe I would be at this place at the, you know, there'd be like the place at the end of the rainbow where I would be <laughs> relaxed and be so excited and like have my company and it would just be so fun. But you're, there's, it's just, there's, it's just never, it's just never ending and it's never ending joy. And it's also never ending worry and, and hustle. And like, you know, you, I, I totally get it on the too big, too big to, to fail perspective. Cause I think that now you know, I think happy families challenge is, you know, we just, we really like digging in and staying, staying innovative. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like every company goes through these different life cycles and there's challenges in every single one of them. Absolutely. And I think you bring up another good point too, that people realize or need to think about as they're starting a business is it does, it takes over. And I'm sure you feel like this way at this stage of this, Jessica, but it takes over every fiber of your being. And I don't know if you struggle, but I feel like as a mom, 
It can be very, very challenging. I feel like very fortunately, I don't have much of a commute home. My office, which is so nice, is really very close to where I live, which is great. But I have no time to decompress. And I feel like I really struggle. It's like being on a rocking ship all day. And you go home and you can sort of, you still like feel it going back and forth. And you're like, snap out of it, snap out of it. I got, I'm a mom here. Like I need to be in the moment. And I feel like with text and email and Slack and, you know, all of the different messages, it's, it's hard to turn it off. Do you feel like you're able to? Oh, oh my gosh. I you're just, I'm so grateful to hear that somebody else goes through this too. I mean, I, I think um, for all, for like having purpose in your work and really feeling connected to your work, it is, I find it really, really hard to transition. And so I have the same thing. I, I have a short commute and I, I think on most weeknights, I don't, I feel like it's really, really, really hard to get into flow at home. I get there on the weekends. I can, I, cause I work at night on the weekends sometimes they're all like filling it, fit in something, but with three little, little kids at home, like there's just like no way I'm going to be able to, you know, do a call or actually like get anything done really. So then I can kind of get into flow with them and, and, and enjoy them. But, oh, this is just like magical thing of being present is something I am chasing after so hard. I'm really, really chasing it. And I, I read somewhere that highly successful people really honor transitions. They really look at these transitions in their life and they sort of do like almost like a release, even between meetings, like between this podcast and then the next work that you're doing or between like work and home, you kind of like do this sort of like release, release what was and try and set an intention for what you want your evening to feel like. That would be incredible if I did that every time. <laughs> um, giving advice that I do not do, but I have been really thinking about that same thing is how do I just enjoy these moments that we have with our little people? And, and it, what's ironic about it and what's so amazing about it is that's what we're trying to do at Love Every. We're trying to help parents just have a few more moments of connection and be present with their children. And, you know, this, this business, these businesses just do become your babies and, and they're, they're like another they're like another being in your, in your life. You know, they're, they're so needy and, and so consuming and so exciting that it's really hard to kind of turn it off if you're processing still and you're at home. It is. And things will crop up when you don't mean to have it crop up all the time. I feel like we, you know, always are very intentional about taking like a couple long walks as a family on the weekend and going to the zoo. And I can't tell you how many times like unexpectedly the trip has been hijacked by either something that happens at my husband's company or something that happens at mine. And the next thing you know, like, Oh, I know you have it double. <laughs> yeah. You're like almost walking into oncoming traffic as you're like feverishly texting on your phone. Cause I feel like it's hard. Like now, sometimes I try to take a moment. Do I need to contend with this right now? But like, we've come to a certain point at the company where like, as things come to my text, it's like, it's usually something that like, okay, it's we, important. we need to deal with it right now. Cause I'm, you know, someone is texting me about it and that means that we've been through other chains and now it's come my way. And so, yeah, but it's just with so many different people, it, you know, there's a lot of things that could come your way. How big is the team at Love Every? Um, we have 13 people now. We just hired uh, another seven, and then we have a couple more coming. So we've actually just, you know, from a, from a this is a small base. Happy Family has, you know, over 100, 100 employees now. But here, you know, that, that transition from like a tight team of six to, you know, be 15 at the end of next month is I'm kind of struggling with the transition. You know, I think that I, I just need to kind of put two feet in the ground and say, like we really need to define our culture and say like these are this is who we want to be and 
what we care about and I need to be pay more attention, I think, to that be more intentional because before so many things just would, you know, we would share things and it would just all happen and there's great energy in the, in the, in the office. But now we're, there are things that happen that not everybody knows about now. And I need to make sure that everybody's staying connected on the important stuff. Oh my goodness. We have like, I mean, I feel like we've just recently made a lot of those transitions and it is so fun and so painfully difficult at the same time because you go so quickly from a point that there's like three or four people, all you guys are meeting about every single thing that happens. Every single person's in the know, disseminating everything to the team is basically looking up from your laptop and being like, Hey, here's what's happening to two (laughs) other people. And then you really quickly go from that point to, Hey, I didn't realize that was happening from somebody. You're like, nobody told me that this was going to be the case. And it's just, it's kind of incredible how quickly that creeps up on you. And I know as CEO, a lot of times you have to step back at these transitional periods and rescope, like what, what's my job again? Because yes. what yes. you're doing initially, I mean, fundraising course, always, always the job at hand, but you know, beyond that, it's like, you really need to be very intentional about the changes in the job. There's times where like, I will go months just sort of cranking through things. Like I got this. And then all of a sudden I'll spend like two or three days, like at an inflection point in the company, like, all right, wait, I'm feeling a little like out of place. Like what exactly, like how now that, you know, I'm really involved in the marketing side of the business, you know, something I really knew nothing about before I started this, but like, I feel like you kind of realize there's areas that you want to own. And then there's other sides of the business where you're like, Hey, you know what? I actually don't think I'm that helpful to this side of the business. I don't know that much about it. Even though in the beginning, you're kind of doing it all. So I think as a CEO, trying to be very uh, like intellectually honest with yourself in the long run about like, where am I actually Mm -hmm. helpful and where am I going to hire people that are a billion times more talented than I am to just knock this out of the park and I'm just going to get the heck out of their way. Yes. I, I love that. And I think, uh, I think that that's so smart. And then also trying to figure out that cadence. I have a 50-50 co-founder in this business and he's Rod Morris and he's amazing. And I think in a lot of ways, we are also figuring out, okay, I really, I'm really obsessed with parent child development content and really want to make sure that, that every kind of Instagram post and every single thing that we, we do is that I get to touch it. And it's just not practical. He's actually running revenue for us and running growth while I'm running product. And so we're also trying to calibrate between the two of us. How can we just really make a ton of progress over the next year and meet all of our, our you know, ambitious goals, but then also figure out, okay, who's, who's doing what and not step on each other's toes. Absolutely. And I think that's always like a dance as things evolve and change. So I, I honestly, I completely understand how that goes. One question I had from what you were talking about a little bit ago is like, you talked a lot about, you know, people registering. Do you feel like the majority of like your, your acquisition initially is through registries or people actually come and like making that impulse purchase or more people are registering and then purchasing that way for Love Every? That's a great question. We do have a, a significant and growing business with Babylist, and but we're doing, you know, we're we're actually, and then Amazon registry, I think, is is really big for us. But for for us, I think that it's been because we're new. I think that some people are just like splurging for themselves. Some people are also giving like post baby gifts, even not a registry item, but like a just as a baby gift. And then I think registry is bigger for the play gym than it is for the play kits. 
So we're, we're five or six weeks in now on the play kits and we're working right now on kind of a, a way internally in our site to create, make registry easier. How about, how about for you guys? How are you seeing? I know gifting is like, Ben, you said in one of your podcasts, that gifting was a surprise for you of a transition, like really needing to acknowledge how much gifting is a part of this whole space. We're, that really resonated. That really resonated with me, and we actually made some changes um, based on that advice. But I, I would love to hear from you how your customer acquisition is, is happening. Yeah, it's a great question. So I feel like we're in a, in a strange way. We too are still learning. I feel like whatever levers we pull, you know, whatever we focus on, are certainly the ones that we get more momentum mm-hmm. from. So, you know, in the early days, we had so many gift givers that shop with us. And I think it was just like some of the initial press that we got, some of the people, the way that they were discovering the brand. And then for us, like, you know, building out these more community-based guide shops that we've had that have been very like multidimensional, you know, have brought so much of like that mom customer. And I do think many, many people now are discovering us at that expectant stage. And I think learning more about the purchase behaviors at that stage. And I think similar to some of what you found too, is like, I think for us, we have more people probably buying than registering. We too have worked with Babyless. There's been such a great partner. But I think that like apparel is like a a lot of times like a very intimate purchase. Like there's a lot that people get from their registry. But like what you're taking to the hospital in terms of like our, our hospital box or our coming home box, I think those you know, the first Instagram pictures that you're going to be posting. Like, I think that's always a very personal decision for the mom. And so we definitely have a lot of moms that purchase directly from us. Certainly many people that discover us because they're gifted the product. And I think registry is probably like a growing part of what we're doing. On one hand, on the other hand, like we sell through prints and products so quickly, making sure that we do have some evergreen things for people to register for is really important because, you know, we're constantly Mm. getting new products and it just, it sells out fast, which isn't a bad thing, but it's not similar to having like, you know, a product like the play gym, which is something that's, you know, probably doesn't change dramatically in the course of like a month or two, I would expect. So, yeah. So I think it's a little bit about us, like learning the purchase behaviors of our customer and then understanding how our product ebbs and flows into their purchase behaviors. So I feel like we're really still learning a lot too. And I, you know, I don't think we quite have like, Hey, this is exactly how things go. We're, we're testing and trying a lot of different things right now to see what really, what really stands out. Yeah. And I also just separately just want to kind of also acknowledge like you being a part of this super important movement around organic and textiles. I think that we're going to see, I, I we're in the process of getting got uh, certified. We have got certificates through, through the supply chain, but we, we don't have it at our final factory. And so we need to get everybody certified. And I just love it that, that you guys, you know, support organics. And they said that only 90 I don't know if this is true, but only 90 companies in the U.S. are got certified. I mean, I think you're really in a like a really important beginning of a movement around keeping babies safe, keeping families safe, keeping you know the, there's so many pesticides used in conventional cotton. And I think I just want to kind of say that acknowledge that there's like a big movement. I think you're at a very early stage of this this big movement and trend that's gonna that's gonna really take over. Oh, well, thanks, Jessica. I I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel like that was my biggest concern too as I like launched was, you know, my daughter's skin was so sensitive and she had so many rashes and then learning that like, wow, everything's sprayed with flame retardants. Like I just... It was difficult. Some of the the laws are so antiquated, you know, that come from like when people were like smoking in bed and like they didn't want their pajamas to catch on fire. I mean, it's just like 
kind of incredible, the laws that are still in place today and the reasons for them. And they just haven't caught up with what, what real moms want in the real world. And I think a lot of people don't want you know, things that are sprayed with flame retardants. And then the the beautiful thing about the GOT certification and, and kudos to you that that's what you guys are working on doing as well is like, it's not just about our kids on this end and the product, which is incredibly, incredibly important, but like, how are the workers treated at the factories that we're working mm-hmm. at? And like, what are a lot of those conditions? And so the thing I love about the GOT certification is that, you know, it encompasses everything about the health of not only the product, but the health of the environment that the product's made and the health of the people that are making the product, you know, at least from a mental health perspective. So I think that it's a great and thing. And physical. To, absolutely. So I feel like it's a great thing, you know, and I, and I think that it's, we, I've been fortunate to have like great introductions and, you know, I don't think it's as easy for everybody to do, but in this world of fast fashion that we're living in, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, at least for kids, a lot of people ask what's in my clothes, what, you know, or what, what are we buying for our kids? And it's a question we probably in the long run need to really be asking about ourselves as well. But I think the kids is a great place to start. And certainly there's there's yeah. a lot more questions that we get from customers around like production and where things are made. And so, you know, I think it's really important for children's brands to certainly be on like the cutting edge of all of that because, you know, we're dressing the most important humans and same thing for you, like whatever kids are putting in their mouth or playing with, it's like, you know, there's not a lot of boundaries between them and the products that they're touching or wearing as we, as moms know, it's not, you know, generally we don't chew on our own clothes, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the, with kids, yeah. it's like, you know, even looking at the cute stuff you have in this box, like the books and like that five to six month stage, like everything that's in here will be in their mouth for sure. So there's, yes, it's nice to have, we focus on organic. Totally. It's nice to have that extra step. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. I feel like this is just the beginning of like a, an even more in-depth conversation that we can have. And, you know, again, like for love every, I mean, these products that you have are beautiful. I absolutely love the, the sensor box that we have here. And so I wish you all of the best and I look forward to keeping this conversation going. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. I'm very excited to be here. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information and tips from our guests, stop by monicanandy.com or check us out on Instagram at monicanandy. If there's someone you want to hear from or have any other suggestions, please leave us a comment on iTunes. Thank you for listening. 